Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, this is uh, two episodes in one week. That's right. Uh, I am actually going to get ahead. And uh, for those of you that listen to the podcast and come uh, on Sunday nights, this is actually how I was hoping uh, this would work, where a podcast would come out with background information that would help our conversations on Sundays. So I'm finally finally getting to that place where uh, I'm ahead in my uh, in my podcast preparation and uh, and got things uh, really pulled together. And so that that's really exciting for me. Uh, I don't know how exciting it is for you. Uh, but if you get a chance to listen to this episode uh, before Sunday night, it will it will give you some it'll give you some insights uh, prior to prior to coming in 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 jumping into our conversation. So uh, Sunday night we are going to be looking at uh, the second half of uh, second bit of Romans thirteen. Uh, we're going to be looking at Romans 13, 8 through 16. And uh, so as I've, been, as I've been looking at this, uh, this passage, right, uh, it's, it's about, it is about love. It's about how do we, uh, how do we carry out uh, loving well? What, is it, what does it look like? And Romans, Romans 13, uh, 8 eight through 10, especially is, uh, oh man, it's kind of the crux of the issue. And, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's just one of my, it is, it's one of those passages that I knew existed, uh, before I dove back into, into Romans, but seeing it more in context with the whole, the whole story that's going on, the whole narrative that's happening with, uh, within the context of Romans and within the broader context of my own faith journey uh, and our faith journey as a, as a, as a congregation, as a, as a community of faith, man, I got to tell you, uh, these, these couple of verses are just super, super powerful. And again, the second half of Romans, uh, there's second bit of Romans, really Romans 12, 12 through 15, these three chapters, four chapters are, uh, they are this practical outworking that so often uh, gets missed in the teaching of Romans because everybody focuses on Romans 1 through 8. Uh, and then there's kind of a group of folks that really focus on 9 through 11. Um, but, but man, 12, 12 through 15, uh, I think has been largely ignored. And that's why we're, that's why we're emphasizing that on Sunday nights. Uh, if you want to catch some of the uh, more more of the the background information, more of some of the historical placing of of Romans, I'd encourage you to go back a, a couple of episodes to to the episode on the introduction. And I apologize that uh, in it there's there's some sipping of drink. Uh, I was my throat was starting to get dry and scratchy, and so uh, I, I know it's a little bit annoying, but press through it. I think it's worth it. And uh, so, uh, this this in this episode, we're going to spend some time looking at Romans chapter six, um, 
because Romans 13, 8, uh, 8 through uh, 8 through 14 really, I think, ties back into uh, what is happening here in Romans chapter 6. Now, Romans, Romans 13, just, just real quick, um, 8 through 10 says, Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, Whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So what we have here is, is Paul saying, okay, how do, you, how do you live out the law? How does the law get fulfilled? Well, the law ultimately gets fulfilled in love, he says, in loving your neighbor. And so neighbor love is, is absolutely, absolutely significant. But how do we get there? How do we get to this place uh, theologically where we're able to say that, that neighbor love is the fulfillment of all of this? Jesus talks about this in his own ministry, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two, two commands he says, uh, you know, sum up the entire law. That's a huge, huge statement to make. So how do we get there? And, and Paul, here in Romans, uh, as, he's, as he's pressing into these issues of, of neighbor love, of caring for one another, of, of what, is it, what does it mean? What does it look like for the people of God to finally come home? What does it, what does it look like? for his for his Jewish brethren to to come out of exile and come back home uh, in the faith because it's no longer about coming home to a land there's there's more like it's it's deeper right uh, exile was was understood as as being kept from the land and uh, and so they're no longer they've no longer been expelled it's not the issue the issue now is is this faith. It's this deeper reality, this deeper knowing of what it means to come home and, and what it means to live into a place. Uh, what, is it, what does it look like for, for us to fulfill the law through loving our neighbor? And, uh, and, and we see this laid out, we see this rooted here in Romans chapter 6. And, uh, and so he's talking about sin and, uh, and brokenness and all this stuff here in, in Romans 6. And he starts with answering and responding to a question, right? Uh, here's this question. Romans 6, 1 says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Now, this question is reasonable based on everything he just he just talked about uh, before here in, in Romans chapter five and what he's what he's talking about in Romans chapter five is this idea that uh, that the law so all the all the rules right all the things uh, that are kind of summed up and then developed from the Ten Commandments uh, 
are it was put in place so that we might come to the recognition so that people might recognize their need for for a savior their need for uh, someone to to bring justice for someone to set things right because we in and of ourselves we're going to continue to fail and, and, and fall short of that reality. That's, that's just, just the way it is, right? We left to ourselves will, will kind of uh, bring injustice. We will create structures and systems that, that really institute an injustice in, in our society and in culture. And, and within our communities. And we've seen that, right? We've seen that reality played out and developed over and over and over again in every society and every culture that we know of. There is significant injustice in those systems, inherent in those systems, because, because at their heart, they are, they are reflective of our desire to, to have power, to have control. And, and so what happens is we create systems so that those of us who, who see ourselves as being the ones in power can maintain that power so that we can continue to have that power. And, and, and so it perpetuates a system, a cycle of, of oppression, of, of, of setting other people aside, of, of determining or deciding who an other is and and when we identify someone who is other then what that allows us to do is 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 create a power structure that is unloving and does significant harm and what paul begins to do here is he begins to say no we're we're not going to experience that anymore we're we're going to that has died he says uh, these these things have died. Uh, the law has shown us. We see clearly when we look at the law, when we look through that lens at culture, at society, at humanity in general, the law allows us to see the structures and systems and powers that are in place that we have to push against. This is what the prophets are talking about. This is what Jesus presses into. And this is what Paul is pressing into. And so we, we, don't, we don't keep these structures in place so that grace can abound more. Because that, that's kind of this interlocutor, this, this conversation partner that Paul's devised. And he's saying, you know, so, so we just we need to keep this going, right? Because as we see more of the brokenness then we get to experience more grace. So by all means, let's, let's perpetuate these cycles so that we can abound in grace more. And Paul says, no way, no way. That is, that is not okay. By no means. He says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And so that brings up all kinds of questions, right? Like, I mean, how, how I'm, I'm not dead. Are you dead? No, we're not dead. None of us are dead. So how can we, how can we be dead? Um, Paul's talking about 
this mystical union with Christ that that has taken place. You see, when when we get baptized, we are we are we are identifying with Christ in his death, Paul says. And so in that in that mystical union, we are saying that just like Christ died, so have we. We are dying to ourselves. That's that's a huge thing. Right? He says, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were there we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know the old self was crucified with him, so the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now remember, sin, sin here is missing the mark, but it's more than that. Uh, as Paul has laid out, it is, it is the identification with and slave to the powers, slave to the systems that exist. Uh, the, the things that the law are showing us are, are broken and, 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 and aren't, aren't the way that we ought to live. What the law does so clearly is show us how unloving we are, how uncaring we are, and how we buy into and perpetuate the powers and the systems that, that we see. So it's, it's individual. Yes, I, as an individual, carry out these things in my body, but also us corporately, we as a people carry out these things. And so it's it's a both and, right? It's 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 corporate and individual. And we have to deal with both of these things. And we deal with both of these things through our union with Christ in baptism. And we are united with him. Our identity, who we are becomes united with him. And so uh and so we we are united with him in death. We're no longer slaves to this way of life. We are, re- we are resurrected then with him, and we are now free to be able to see what's happening, the reality of what's going on here. And we can now speak to and challenge the, the systems and the powers. And so, as a result, uh, you know, in the same way, he says, uh, you know, in verse 11, he says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. You see, He's saying that we have to embody and live out the realities of grace. Now, the realities of grace don't, as we live that out, it doesn't mean that we're some sort of 
that we're some sort of doormat or anything like that. No, what it, what it means is that we are now free finally to love our neighbor as ourself. We're actually free to do that because our desires, our, um, our selfishness has been crucified with Christ. We're not slaves to it anymore. Does it still exist in us? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we fight against it always. At least I do. I'm constantly fighting against my, my selfishness, my self-centeredness, my uh, desire uh, to, to have power and control. Uh, it's, a, it's a constant battle within me. But, but because I recognize that, I, that, that I've died to that in my baptism, in my union with Christ, I can now live this resurrection life. I can now identify with the one who self-sacrificed, with the one who said, okay, watch me defeat the powers. Watch me defeat the systems of injustice. And I will do that by experiencing injustice, but then rising again, right? This is, this is what happens. So, uh, so we, we can't serve, we can't serve two masters in, in this world, right? I mean, it, Remember, Paul's writing to a group of people who understood a slave system. Many of them, if not all of them, were ha, had been slaves at one point in time, uh, in some way, shape, or form. And, and so they understand uh, the master-slave relationship. And he says, listen, there, there's two ways to live this life. There are two ways you can be a servant in this world. There are two masters. One master is the law. You can try you can try to, to live the law. Uh, and in that, what you experience uh, is sin, shame, and death. And again, we're in an honor, we're in an honor-shame system, right? Here in, in the first century. People would do anything they could uh, to, to have honor. And, and he says ultimately what happens is, is when you when you are living into the system of when you are enslaving yourself to the system of, of sin, you experience shame. You think you're experiencing honor, but you're really experiencing shame, and that brings death. Now, the other side is you can you can experience grace. You can live under grace, and grace brings righteousness or justice and life and honor. These are the things that come from the grace life. So, so think about that for a minute. How does, how does grace defeat this, the systems, the, the powers of sin? Well, what it does is, again, it gets us back into what we've already looked at, uh, back into uh, chapter 14 in, 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 this, in chapter 15, and this idea of acceptance, of receiving one another, for us, for us to accept the other, for us to engage life that way, requires us to know that we have been accepted in spite of ourselves, right? I mean, uh, we, we see, like we talked about yesterday in the, in the last podcast in, in Romans 5, this idea 
that Christ didn't die for righteous people. He didn't die for good people. He died for people who were his enemies. And so what, what Romans 6 does is it, is it develops this idea, and, and it calls it grace. It calls it grace. An un, unmerited favor is kind of the, 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 te, the definition, right? And, and so what happens is uh, when we know that we have been united with Christ in his death and resurrection, and we know that in that union we are free from we are free from the power of sin the systems powers of this world where we no longer we no longer are seeing things in some sort of um, dualistic way of thinking but now we see the full spectrum of color and beauty and light through the prism right um, and we know, we know that in spite of ourselves, we are fully accepted by, by God, that he has justified us. He has made things right in this whole world. So now we become agents of that. And, and what that does is, is, it, is it allows us to bring justice. And in verse 18, he says, you have been set free from sin. And have become slaves to righteousness, or you could say slaves to justice. There, um, and uh, and he says, and I love this because he explains what he's doing with this whole master-slave picture. In verse nineteen, he says, "I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness." leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness or justice. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is this, this, this whole thing. We are freed. We are freed from the powers and the systems and, and all of these structures that have been set up in, in, in the world and even within ourselves to, to keep the other at, at an arm's distance. We are freed. We are freed from, you know, seeing ourselves in a self-centered, selfish way. We are freed from that reality. We can die. We can set aside our ego. And we can actually love our neighbor as ourself. Because once, once we die to self, once we, once we die to our selfishness, we can actually begin to love ourselves. We can give ourselves grace. We can accept ourselves. And as we do that, as we, as we see ourselves and understand ourselves as accepted and loved by our master, by, by, by the God of heaven, then, then we are able to do that ever more uh, with, with our neighbor. You see, 
some people have this weird theology that that we're supposed to em- become empty so that Jesus fills us up so that in, in a sense we we hate ourselves we, we got to get our we got to th- this idea of of killing ourselves so that we can become so empty that Jesus fills us so that we can love well. and uh, man this idea of emptying is not a Christian concept that is not that's not what Jesus is, is talking about. That's not the gospel that we see laid out uh, even here in Romans 6. Dying, it's not about killing self. It's about dying to self. There's a significant difference. It is about uniting self, uniting ourself with Christ in death and life so that we, in our union with him, we, we cease to be self-centered. Because we are able to finally come to a place of self-acceptance. When we, when we can come to a place where we know that we are loved and accepted and cared for. When we can, when we can see ourselves that way, then we are in turn able to love our neighbors. And, and then we get ourselves into, you know, into, uh, into Romans 13. And uh, so I hope, I hope you'll come and join us uh, Sunday night, six o'clock. We eat some dinner, we open the scriptures, we take communion. And uh, this week we are going to be talking about, uh, we're going to be talking about love and and how that, how that plays itself out. Uh, But it's rooted, it's rooted here theologically uh, in Romans chapter six. So uh, that's where we're going. And uh, thanks, thanks for the double dip uh, this week. I hope I hope you listen to both episodes, and uh, yeah. Uh, so until until next time, love well, my friends.